0: on this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Well, the, the uh, real purpose of all these books is to make the Bible less intimidating to people who are either uh, unbelievers or who are skeptics like I was and wanted to be a believer or who were, are young, new Christians who want to learn more about it to encourage and inspire them to read the Bible and let them know that it's not a book of abstract moral principles, it's a book of stories about real human beings.
1: Okay, so I just hit record and I am on with Kristen Limbaugh-Bloom and her father, David. Thank you both so much for being here to discuss this amazing book.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Okay, so I want to dive right in. So, and Kristen, I want to start with you. And this is really cool, but well, let me preface this. So for the, for, the, for the audience, for the believer that has shown up to hear about this book, The Resurrected Jesus... Uh, you're probably going to hear some things that you, will make you want to go read this book, not because it's an incredible book, but it's because it is something that will bring you even more familiar, hopefully, with the Word of Christ and understand the New Testament better and, and fulfill that thing that I believe Jesus wants more than anything from all of us, which is just a relationship with him, to understand him better. So, And for the non-believer, if you ever—and I've, I've done a little bit of research— and if you've ever been like David and had that time in life, and maybe you're there where you you can't fully say, I don't believe, but instead you're like, I just don't know. I don't get it. What's the story behind the story? Stick around, because that I think that's this book is an incredible utility for that individual. So with that disclaimer, Kristen, I think that you and I probably came to – believe very similar. And I'm going to give you kind of my my faith walk, my my mini testimony. I I accepted Christ in my heart when I was nine years old. You know, I grew up in Mm -hmm. Sulphur Springs, Texas, where the sky was blue, the sun sun was bright, the Dallas Cowboys were America's team, and Jesus was Lord, okay? (laughs) Yes. Uh, But it sounds like, just again, from listening to some of the previous conversations that your dad and you have had on this topic, You go to college, things change. Mm -hmm. Tell me kind of your faith journey up to this point.
2: Um, Well, thanks so much for asking. Um, I was raised by mom and dad in a strong Christian home, you know, um, had a blessed upbringing. And I, I never doubted whether Jesus was my Lord and Savior, like you said, similar to your story. But when I went to college, um, I was really being hit from every angle by um, the culture and by um, just attacks of the enemy, um, really calling me to focus on myself, which I think is like one of the greatest deceptions of our of our generation is that we are— um, our, are encouraged so much to make ourselves the, the God of our lives and I was just coming up empty uh, when I tried to focus on relationships I, I felt empty when I tried to focus on my uh, career aspirations I felt empty and and so I, I I felt very alone I was far from from home down here in Texas my parents were in Missouri and um, and I just I wasn't really, s- spending, um, daily time with Jesus. I didn't know what that looked like really. I didn't know how to practically get into the word on a daily basis. Um, and so I, I just, I, I, it's not like I ever stepped away from my faith, but I didn't feel that my faith was really my own. I didn't feel like I knew the character of Jesus. And so I, um, started an internship, my junior year of college in New York city, and I stayed with a good friend. Um, we were sharing a, room together actually because you know you can't afford anything in New York City and we went out to to dinner one night and she just had this zest for life and i found myself jealous of um of of this new of this new joy about her and i asked her what was going on with her and she told me it was that she had found a newfound joy in Jesus that she felt like she was finally getting to know Him on a personal level, and I found myself jealous. And so I, I asked her, what was her trick? what, what How did she, she start on this journey? And she helped me along. Um, and so I started reading the devotional she had given me and really digging into the Word, and that was my first time feeling that Jesus was speaking directly into my life. Since then, He has taken me... Um, really just on this beautiful journey where he's asked me to give more and more of myself to him. And in doing so, um, I, John 10, 10, has really come alive in my life, that he is the one who gives us life and life to the fullest. And, um, and he's taught me how to, how to recognize his hand in my life through little, what I like to call God winks. And he's put so many incredible people in my life. The more I have asked, the more he really has given me. So it's been, um, it's been such an incredible journey and I am just forever grateful to him. And I look forward to, to where he'll take me next.
1: So David, whenever you, you as a father, like I said, uh, being a, a uh, not a latecomer, if if I'm not mistaken, I think it was somewhere around your thirties that you decided to follow Christ. Once you had that revelation. And by the way, I, um, I, I, I was listening to one of the interviews that you put on there or that you, where you made the mention that, about the five-point Calvinist. So if there's any Calvinists out here that disagree with who actually chose who in this situation, us, Jesus, or Jesus, us, and it was all predestined, we're not going to get into that today. But I will say this. I know that there was there was a, there there were some deciding points throughout my adult life as to would I or would I not stay on track? Was it all true, or was it all just something that my parents wanted me to do to behave? You know, just all the questions we have. As a father coming to Christ later in life. What were some of the lessons that you taught Kristen growing up that planted those seeds and allowed her to grow into the woman of faith that she is now? What was kind of your strategy in that?
0: Um, I do want to say something about the Calvinism thing, because I don't even think it's controversial, and I want to clarify this. The the uh, I think I'm a hybrid, and— I believe, and even Arminians believe that uh, the Holy Spirit woos us. I believe the Holy Spirit wooed me. And uh, I, I think ultimately we have a choice. I don't purport to know what Calvinists believe. My, my objection to Calvinism, and, and some, of the, some of the greatest thinkers, especially today, are Calvinists, that I rely on them for commentary. It's just a few little things, which are not salvation issues, by the way, but they are about salvation. My problem with Calvinism is I, I believe that God's love is so abundant that he would not create someone with the purpose of sending them to eternal damnation where they didn't have any choice at all. That that really bothers me and it strikes me as an unloving God. And so that, that that's the one thing. I, and so I prefer the, the idea that Jesus doesn't want to lose any sheep. And uh, in terms of God's superintending uh, his his uh, control of and his sovereignty. There's no issue there for me, and I don't even argue with Calvinists. I just, but I don't find as much joy in that in that presentation. And even when I've been been in Bible studies with Calvinists, just, it just seems like a legalism. If you don't if you don't believe everything they believe, they focus on that alone. And so when people say I'm uh, criticizing Calvinists, I'm not. I I think I'm. Probably very close, just not as to that one issue. But well,
1: D- David, I got I got to say, I can I fully agree. Like John Piper, I love John Piper's teachings, and, and and Matt Chandler's. And this is the way I describe it for me. And this just in case we're pissing off any Calvinists, just to let you know that I I feel the same way. I always tell people, one of my favorite um, philosophers intellectuals to listen to was Christopher Hitchens. I mean a I mean a bold, outspoken atheist. And I once said when I was teaching a Sunday school class, and and to the to the non-believer listening to this, just so you know where I, at least for where I'm coming from as as an as a token of sympathy, I always tell people, and I think this is kind of where you and I are in full agreement, David. Always tell people, I get Christopher Hitchens, I understand his anger because what he says, what his biggest point of contention was always. This sadistic, evil God who would put his son on a cross and torture him. And, and, and I get that. I understand that commentary. I understand that argument. And I always tell people the only difference between Christopher Hitchens and I and our belief in Jesus for our lack thereof is the Holy Spirit. I can't—even even if I took his approach and said, I'm pissed too, I'm angry, that is evil, that is wrong, I can get mad at that. I can—but— For me even if i willfully tried to walk away i can't i still this the the scripture that is tattooed on my heart that is now just a part of my reality of god is working all things out for the for the good of those who love him guys i gotta tell you something i have a new favorite product it is pluck seasonings this stuff is amazing and not only that Get this. You ready? Lean in for it. It is made with organ meats. Okay, hear me out. If you're like me and you understand and respect the unbelievable rich nutritional value of organ meats, but you don't want to get all liver king and start biting into bull testicles and raw liver and spleens and all that, well, guess what? There is an answer, and it is delicious. It is pluck seasonings try the all-purpose the zesty garlic the pure which is just a basically no taste ground freeze-dried organ meats that you can put in protein shakes recipes whatever to get the nutrients but don't worry about the taste and then there's the spice that is so good all right so Thursday night for Mrs. Wright I made her ribeye tacos and my ribeye tacos there is nothing about them that sucks they are absolutely amazing but but my friends This Thursday was extra special because you know what I did? I made a little avocado salad, and I threw some of the zesty garlic pluck in there, mixed it up, put that on the ribeye tacos. Game changer. So good, so savory, so delicious. And get this. Mrs. Wright commented on how delicious they were, had no clue that she had had a dose of spleen, heart, liver, kidney, all of it and didn't even know it. So, Oh, and some pancreas was in there too. How about that? I left one of the five organ meats out. It is so good. Check it out at eatpluck.com. And guess what? For the Jason Wright Show listeners, you, you can save 15% by using promo code IMPROVE because that's what we do around here, baby. We are improving always and always, and I want you to improve your nutrition. I want you to improve the taste of your food, and you're going to do it with Pluck that is eatpluck.com promo code IMPROVE for 15% off. I guarantee you will love this stuff. Go get some and enjoy. Get plucking baby.
0: Right? That that that's the ultimate. Well, I have I have, I have, I have to say something about what you said though that I don't agree with. But what I do agree with is having become a believer because what I considered to be the overwhelming weight of the evidence this isn't blind faith you study it, it is over it's almost undeniable in my view so that then I come away it doesn't erase all doubts or issues and it doesn't make me understand why there's an everlasting hell I, I mean I understand intellectually because we're evil we're born depraved and all that I know all the arguments but it's still if I were God I would probably you know you know my point and, and Absolutely. that's absurd I'm just being honest he knows I'm honest I'm not being a irrever- in fact I hate irreverence toward God I hate it so that would never enter my heart to be irreverent. I don't like these smartass. I don't like the 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 glib, common uh, method today, practice today of these people writing. Oh, it's great to get mad at God, yell at him, tell him what you. No, I don't agree with that. You got to respect him. You don't do that. It's it's what what is important is you're honest with him. But your attitude being irreverent, no, I don't buy that. I don't buy what everybody tells me. I even though they're my. Theological superiors. I don't have to be spoon-fed and, and swallow everything they say. But the one thing that I don't agree with, and I probably misunderstood you, but I don't have, I think the reason Christopher Hitchens probably is mad is because his mother died and he can't and he's furious and never got over it. N- number one. Number two, he not, he doesn't get it. I'm gonna tell you he didn't get it. you he's 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 at least three times smarter than I would ever hope to be. But he was spiritually blind. And, and, I, and I'm, I know what I'm talking about if you, on this. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to suggest I know anything if somebody else doesn't. But I didn't used to understand the spiritual blindness. That it's just like the left today. They, you can tell them everything, all their hoaxes about environmentalism. You can show how ridiculous their policies are. They, it, it doesn't re- register. And by the way, that's spiritual. What's going on politically is largely spiritual. But Christopher Hitchens um, never really got it. So he couldn't judge it. It's, not, it's like in a different category. He's reading a different. Because before I understood that God's word was really God's word inspired, I wouldn't have gotten it either. So when, when Christ being on the cross, I don't have that reaction. I don't think that's mean. I think that's the ultimate love. He chose to put himself on the cross when he decided to create mankind, knowing we would fall. And the only way he could redeem us is if he, if the Father, if he sent his Son to condescend to human form, suffer all the indignities of human existence, and then die for us on the cross, so that we could then be bodily resurrected uh, through faith in Him. After in the pattern of His bodily resurrection, I, 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 I it had to be that way. It, and, and that it had to be that way for us to have a relationship with Him too. He had to suffer, or He couldn't relate to us. And and so, to me. No, there's no anger. There's pure gratitude for that. He voluntarily chose it. And Hitchens got all mad because uh, it, it's, you, you cannot, he thought, you, 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 what a God does or anybody else doesn't cancel out your sins. You can't do something on behalf of someone else. That's true in, in the, on the human level alone. That's not true when you're, God, when you're a God man. And that's what happened. But he can't possibly comprehend that because his mind was hostile to it. And I think even in his heart of hearts, he knew it at some level. Otherwise, he wouldn't have dedicated his life to going around disproving the God that he claimed he didn't believe in.
1: No, you, you actually—no, we don't disagree. We don't disagree. because, okay. And I would tell you if we did, but no, that's exactly— and that's one of the things that I think gives such utility value to the book we're going to be talking about today— because so many people stop at that surface level that I was talking about. If I just, and that's what I should have prefaced to say. If I stayed at the level of Christopher Hitchens of just kind of this, what, this story? No way. I'm not buying into that. And have what I always call, and this isn't an original thought for Jason Wright, but someone was described as library knowledge. Oh, I know that book. I know, I know who wrote it. I know what it's about. Well, just because you know that doesn't mean you know the book and you know the details of the story. And that's one of the things that I think is so valuable about the book that you've written, not only, and I'm going to bring this back to you, Kristen, because the, the thing that for, and this is why I brought it up with your dad coming to Christ later in life, I always have an admiration after, for, for people that have lived a lot more life and been flooded with the messages that you and I start. I mean, you know, look, just we we kind of grow up, most of us, in our own little bubble to a certain degree. Then we go off to school, you know, and and then that's whenever we're kind of in- inundated with all these different ideas and go, well, I never thought about that. So your dad, your dad came to Christ at a time whenever he was having to muddle through a lot of competing ideas and wisdom and things that had worked that were secular. And there I I just think there's a faith journey there that's different than you and I and our taking a lot of this stuff for granted and having a father. I had a father and a grand, and it was generational for us, believers. So you you said you had the friend, Uh all of a sudden you saw a joy. Uh-huh. That you that was recognizable that she was attributing to this decision that she had made. Then how did you take it below when you started? And I don't want to say connect the dots, but you just started seeing the DNA of the Christian life. You started understanding, just like your dad said, if you're God and you're trying to prove your love, there is no other way this could have been done. And that's a, that's hard for a lot of people to get their brain around when they go. There's just, and then then you stop and think to yourself, well, how could I? Both show my deity, my supernatural ability, and my love, and the fact that I, you're a part of that all at once. How cu- else could I tell this story? How did you start to dig in and find uh, the, the reinforcement of the faith that your father had planted the seed for as you went along your own journey?
2: Um. Okay, so— I I actually was reading this morning in the book of Matthew, and uh, I was reading the parable of the four soils, and I think it's so interesting. You know, obviously the scripture is alive and active, and it t- and God shows us different things every time we read something. And today is the first time I noticed the word that you know there's a one in four uh, rate at which people actually produce. You know, the seed is the good soil. There's four different types of seed, and those are just for the people who hear the, the gospel. So think of all the other souls who haven't heard the gospel. This is the people who have heard the gospel. One in four actually understand. The word is to understand it. Those, The the good seed, the one that produces 30, 60, 100 times worth its original crop, is the one who hears the word and truly understands it. So I, for me, I think that means the sanctification process where we actually are, have that revelation of like what you and dad were just talking about, that, that Jesus had to become a human. He had to go through the suffering. He had to go through the temptation that we all go through so that he could become the high priest who understands us and that who also paid the ultimate price that we could never pay. And, um, I think what a lot of people miss when they are, Young is that um, so many people are led to believe that the Christian life is one that is that is very restrictive and legalistic, and that there's no joy in it. That you just kind of become straight laced and and can't be funny, can't have friends, can't you know be yourself. I guess. And what and what's interesting is my journey started off trying to find more of myself selfishly. I, I wanted the best life for myself. So I saw God started to plant seeds in my heart. I saw um, uh, this ESPN anchor who was an outward Christian, who actually was a pastor's wife and who was married to an NFL star and had these beautiful babies and was just really funny and off the cuff and sarcastic. And I thought, man, she, she's doing her life, right. She's successful. She's got a great marriage. She's got babies and she is, and she's openly proclaiming her faith. And I thought I I could see myself living a life like, I mean, obviously (laughs) that's obviously like high aspirations, but God, God speaks to us in different ways. And so he kind of started to plant seeds in my heart to show me the lies that I was believing about walking in line with the Christian faith and really letting him in all the way. Now, I mean, almost 10 years later, I, I want less of myself. You know, I just realize everything about myself is what I want to get rid of. And I want more of God in me because he is the goodness. He is the joy. He is the fun. You know, he's the one who created a sense of humor and, and fun and joy and goodness in our lives. And um, so really, I would encourage people that are younger and and have kind of bought into this, this idea that, we need to focus on ourselves that actually that shouldn't be the goal. God's glory is so good that once you're close enough to him, you're, you're wrecked. You just, that's all you want. But, but actually, um, it's a catch all because uh, as it just so happens, the closer we get to him, the more we actually benefit as well. So, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of stories like mine, but I, I've just been so blessed getting to know jesus more and i i want to continue to get to know him better and we pray that this book helps people along their journeys to really understand like you said the word not just to hear it but to understand it and to want to dig deeper for themselves
1: yeah i think that's that's fantastic and what you what you described is it's it's interesting the secular world knows that every every psychologist i mean look you know, From Jordan Peterson to somebody on the Uber left, if they've studied clinical psychology, they'll tell you one of the greatest ways to overcome depression and increase your fulfillment and happiness is to look outward, stop mm-hmm. navel-gazing, to no help death. others, to yes. benefit others. And so I think what you said there is an incredible uh, nugget of wisdom, Kristen. Oh, David, yeah. what drove I'm you? Because I, I look at you knowing the little bit about your background that I do, and I, I almost compare it to a Josh McDowell. Who or C.S. Lewis? I mean, you know, hey, I'll put you in some really good company there. Uh, professing now, this isn't this wasn't your case, but and and you correct me if I'm wrong. Josh McDowell and C.S. Lewis were both atheists, correct or not correct?
0: They were definitely skeptics. I don't know how okay. far they Okay, and
1: I've since become. I think
2: C.S. Lewis like, definitely yeah. was an atheist. I don't know about Josh McDowell though.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. And but and both of them. They started their writings essentially to prove their hypothesis of the lack of a DD, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Whenever you, because this isn't your first book. Whenever you started writing, because that's taking it to a different level. I mean, to me, that's yeah, that's a very intellectual approach to the faith. Was yeah. that was that deliberate? Did you did you start to? The more you learned, the or are or, or you just disciplined enough to understand the idea of agape love and go, well, watch me put this love into action, and I'm going to really show, I'm going to be action, I'm going to make the, the, the feelings follow the action. What was it that drove you to start studying and taking a scholarly approach to the faith?
0: Um, the fact that I always knew it was right in my heart and couldn't get over the so-called intellectual doubts I had. So I had to explore it to find out why my doubts were ultimately invalid. Why what I knew to be true was really true. So I, I was driven to study it. And I started reading apologetics, Paul Little, Josh McDowell, Norman Geisler, all, and I could name so many more and studied all this. And I knew, I knew they were right. I continued to know they were right. See, I wasn't rebellious that way. I, but I just also knew I wasn't really in sync with it either. So later came to embrace it and, and put my trust in Christ. But um, no, th- this is another example of books, book titles misleading. They, they, they titled the first book, Jesus on Trial, because, to play off the fact that I'm a lawyer and I'm putting Jesus on trial. And that offended some people, and I think I don't blame them. I am not, uh, yes, in the, I'm putting the Christian uh, truth claims to the test and explaining but the real purpose of the book was to explain my faith journey, the first half, and the second half explain, uh, lay out the apologetics, the reasons that I ultimately came to believe. So I wanted to put that in writing. I was, I was far into belief before I wrote that book. And so I think that's a direct answer to your question, other than, uh, unlike all the other answers I've given in this interview, which demonstrate my irreverence to interviewers, and, and it's shameful, I'm kidding, but see, you can tell I'm sick of doing interviews about the book. I want to talk about Calvinism.
1: <laughs> well, I'm good, and it's it's a delicate balance. It's funny, David, because you know you're. Um, whenever I whenever I ask Kristen if you if you guys would come on, I'm like I'm so fired up because my goal is to yes learn about the book and everything. but. I would love to just talk about Jesus. I love having three believers together yeah, yeah. getting to talk yeah. about things totally. that that we just don't that we don't have enough of. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping that this book and and messages like it we need revival in America the likes of which we never have. You know, um and so and, and so I wanted to take this time to and, and again for the non-believer that's used to tuning into the Jason Wright show and listening to biohacking and the and the latest workout and the latest nutritional tip to uh, to, to to control your blood sugar, you might be like, what is going on? But this is, but you know, I, I always say the motto, improve always and always, is about. Being completely that kind of that the Vitruvian idea is perfect proportion. And, and you cannot have a fulfilled life without a fulfilled spiritual life. And as a believer, that's I'm not gonna come on and tell you how to be a better Buddhist. I don't, that's not I am a Christian, I make no bones about it. But I also want the non-believer to to hear this and go, wait a minute, maybe I only have that library knowledge. And if Kristen and David have written something and, 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 and like I started out the show saying, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And a lot of people will hear that. I, I, look, I struggled for years, guys, as a believer, whenever I would hear the Phillips, Craig, and Dean song, He Calls Me Friend. I'm like, and kind of to your point, David, I was raised like, wait a minute. I have, Jesus is way off. To, he's too reverent. He's too high up. He's too glowing to be friend. But what people, I think, miss in that is that, you no, know, he means to, you can ask him. If there's a moment, if, 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 if there's a crossroad of my flesh wants to do this, and again, trying to respect our secular audience, flesh, folks, means the things that I feel that I want to do. You know, it's Christianese for that. You know, we say things like flesh and seasons and whatever. Um, if it's in conflict with what the Word of God says, having the background like what you guys lay out in this book, as to, okay, my my flesh, my being, who I am, my desire is to take the road to the left. However, Christ says there is a better way that goes to the right. It's against what I'm wanting to do. Why should I do that? And then to, to your point, David, it, I think it's, well, it establishes me a, a better relationship with him. It draws me closer to, okay, if I'm going to do what you say is right, what the book does here, and and let's let's go ahead and talk directly about the book, and then if it leads off into any you know state you know whatever talk we want to have about our faith, I'm I'm all in. Uh, but I think what it does is it gives kind of like the Apostle Paul in particular, who by the way a lot of people don't even realize was you know not always a Christian. The Road to Damascus was a pivotal point in evangelism, right? I mean, he was the first evangelist who took the gospel and spread, and at a time when, by the way, it wasn't easy. It's kind of funny. When I, and, look, I, I understand our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who say that today it's awful, we're persecuted, and we are. Look, we, we, we get it. But we weren't dipped and waxed and, and, and thrown to the lions. We weren't like a Paul watching Stephen stoned to death. We weren't. We did, we, you know, we, we've got it better than them. But I guess David, I'll let you start. Kristen, you jump in anytime. And I want to be respectful to both of you, because this is a this is a, you know, a, a work by both of you. But David, what did you hope the reader would come away with not only in their understanding of Jesus, but understanding what Paul was trying to convey to Believers and non-believers alike about their faith, because he was talking to the Jews, the Gentiles, slave, slave owners. He was talking to everybody, trying to trying to talk about this amazing revelation he had had. What what was who was your target audience, and what did you hope would happen by giving getting this better understanding about again the, the the very first evangelist for Christ?
0: Well, the the uh, real purpose of all these books is to make the Bible less intimidating to people who are either uh, unbelievers or who are skeptics like I was and wanted to be a believer or who were our young new Christians who want to learn more about it to encourage and inspire them to read the Bible and let them know that it's not a book of abstract moral principles it's a book of stories about real human beings who uh, who suffered and struggled and and obeyed and disobeyed God and it tells God's uh, love story and plan of redemption for all of mankind and these books are to make it more real that's the purpose to put on a lay level we're not scholars but we do this is a lay commentary where we do bring together all kinds of uh, scholars some of the best scholarship and, and analyze the scripture chapter and verse And with our own insights, but mainly with those of others, experts, and then add the prayers as a devotional to help the the reader interact. So it is is either to trigger a, a, a faith journey in people, to spark something in them that will lead them ultimately to the Bible and to prayer, and ultimately to faith and a relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. And, and to get further in that relationship and to make it real to them so it's not something that's unapproachable and i, I have to just allude to one other thing you made some really good points in your in your uh, question there what where god you know i have the same thing is it am i really enough on the heart side am i all on the head side that's why kristen inspires me because she's more balanced than i am and i long to have a closer relationship but i find myself it's easier for me to read the Bible than it is to pray. pray. And so that relationship, I'm constantly wanting to uh, enhance. But you made some point, uh, point that I got I to gotta augment or comment on. Yes, God is so glorious and, and so he, he, he's so radiant that we can't even look upon him and live, right? That's the God of the Old Testament. Now, let me dovetail what we were talking about before. That's no longer true because God became a human being. Now we not only can look on him and not die, we can actually touch his wound. We, and, we're, and he's going to remain human. He's going to remain human in heaven with us. That's my view, that God remain, That Jesus, the Son, remains fully human and fully God. He changed his entire character for us for his, out of his love. And so that's what, that revelation, that epiphany, if you didn't have it before, is what enables us intellectually to know that we can come closer. It's there. He's offering it. Seek and you shall find. And so I know it's there. It's a matter of acting on it. And, and so we want to encourage people to act on it. We want to encourage ourselves to act on it. We're in the world. We're constantly drawn by temptation and the, the flesh, that as you mentioned, the flesh, because we're, we're in this world, hopefully not of the world, but we struggle and we will struggle continually until we die to overcome sin on a daily basis, but we're empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit to overcome it, not to be sin-free until we die and are glorified uh, in heaven with Jesus. But anyway, I I just think you make a very good point about about the inaccessibility of God. And and what we're trying to do is help people understand that He's totally accessible. That's what's so amazing about it. And that's not true of any other, Hinduism, New Ageism, it's all an impersonal God. This is the most personal possible of God's.
1: That you nailed it. And that's, that is exactly what I took from this book. And that's why the more I read, and by the way, man, you guys are right now, every morning I read Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. And now it's, I'm, and now until I get complete, and I haven't completed your book, but it's become my devotional, in my quiet time. I'm reading, up, up, absolutely, I'm reading Utmost and the Resurrected Jesus. And it's been so fun because I take it, you know, I, I take, Oswald and then your book and then scripture and then a journal and so you guys have been with me every morning ever since I bought the book and that's what I like about it is that it does help both and and for me like a great example and it's so weird guys that you said something earlier Kristen about revelation that comes you know it doesn't matter how old you are I mean at 47 I still get revelation and (laughs) for example I read East of Eden for the first time finally a couple weeks ago and it wasn't until reading Steinbeck, pointing me to Cain and Abel, that made me go back and read the story of Cain and Abel to really understand what that story had to teach us as believers. I mean, it's, it's, it's so bizarre. And that's the cool thing about, and for those, again, who have held this library knowledge of the Bible for so long, for you guys to finally say, now, Come here now. Let me tell you the story. Let me let me tell you what's happening right. Here. Let me tell you what Paul was going through whenever he was in prison. Do you understand how bad his life was when he was when he was saying have grace and glory and be kind and love one another? Do you realize the man had every reason to be pretty bitter whenever he was writing those things? So, now let me ask you this, Kristen, because your dad and I are older and we can kind of whether we should or not. And David, I'm not speaking for you, but I will tell you right now. Um, I tend to create. My my five closest friends. I mean, I and look. I use the old excuse. Jesus only had twelve close friends. I may have two or three. We create our bubbles. You are in a much different stage of life where you're thrust into probably by happenstance, just the nature of life as it is, of people who are gonna you're gonna come up against that. Go when you tell them this, and this is let's talk about some of the most contentious contentious points of our faith. First of all, the fact that Jesus didn't say. I am listen to what I have to say, and you might get to one day see see God. But He said, "No, I am God," and that's what threw the world on its ear. Am I am I wrong about that? That's that was the big one. Okay, so when someone today comes to you, because real popular to say, well, there are many paths to to heaven, Kristen, in your younger than your dad and I's life, when you're faced with that what do you point people what message do you point people to to go you know i love you and I, and and i understand that it feels good to say that hey there's multiple ways because nobody has to get angry but it's just not the truth then how do you help that person understand the want, the, the way the truth and the life
2: um good question so i am in more of a bubble than <laughs> than i probably should be but what i will say is that Going through this really through Paul's letters and reading the different heresies that were being, that were popping up in these churches that he had just planted. I mean, they were already being attacked by half truths and um, just flat out lies about the gospel. And Paul had to immediately, that's what a lot of this, these letters cover. And what we dive into is no, like, I, I have to set you on the straight path. And we've talked about how Jesus came and said, I am the truth, and I come to divide. I will divide mother from father and brother from whoever. And and so many people take issue with that verse. But what he's saying is that this world is controlled by the devil. And so we are all constantly being put under the devil's spell. And so when we hear truth, it's going to offend us at first. It's going to, like, not sit with us well. And we're going to, like, that doesn't sound nice. That doesn't sound like a loving God, you know. And so, but... And so he knew that that would divide people, and and so we're not meant to unite people under the guise of love. What love really is 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 it's not just being nice or being kind. Love is is speaking the truth and wanting them to come to to an eternal destiny with Jesus. Because and and the time is short and the days are evil. I mean, the Book of Psalms says that this life is but a vapor. So what I've seen, um, you know, most of my friends are Christians or those who maybe aren't as, as Christian, um, have some type of spirituality. Right. But, but I've seen the new age, um, ideas popping up in Christian and people who even think that they're really strong believers. I mean, I, I spoke to a girl yesterday saying that last year she went to go see a medium. I mean, Mm -hmm. this stuff is demonic and we have to call it out for what it is. And so I have, I've asked the Holy spirit to help me to be more bold because me personally, I am not confrontational. I'm I'm definitely a people pleaser, which serves me in certain spaces. But but it's very hard for me to to say something that I know will ruffle feathers. But what dad has actually helped me to realize, and his tutelage is that it's it's unloving not to tell people the truth because. Like I just said, this life is but a vapor. If not me, then who? Who's going to be the person to set that person straight? And so I, I think that we have to ask God to embolden us, really to lay down ourselves and to ask the Holy Spirit to literally speak for us in these situations, as Paul did, as the other disciples did. Jesus Told them it won't be me. You won't be you speaking. It'll be my Holy Spirit speaking on your behalf. We have to continue to lay ourselves down, asking the Holy Spirit to intervene. And that's why us as Christians have to know what the truth is. We have to be able to spot these half truths, these flat out demonic lies for what they are, and nip them in the bud because is because they creep in. You know, the devil doesn't just come and say, "Hey, I'm the devil. I'm going to ruin your life." He he gets in 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 the most uh, de- deceptive and and seemingly light and unharmful ways, and then before you know it, you're going to see a medium thinking that oh, you're going to speak to somebody who's in heaven. Like no, <laughs> that that is not what's happening. So um yeah, I don't. I think I went on a, on a tangent. I don't even remember what your no, question was, no, but it,
1: no, it was perfect because I think you you brought the point. Like my my question was simply. When you're faced with that controversial or that, mm-hmm. that, that, what they would call divisive talk of, wait a minute, how can you say that he is the only way right. to, to, to to heaven, you know, or whatever. Uh, it, and it is going to be contentious. It's, it's interesting. That was some scripture that I had to really dive into about, you know, he came to set father against, you know, mother against daughter or whatever. I was, I, I struggled with it until I realized that, Again, the more you know, it's like, hey, the reason why I'm saying this is because if you, my ways are better, my way, and you will be, a, you you won't lose the relationship if you do this right. And also, you're right; it is evil to withhold that which you know to be good for someone. I, I've I've come to that, and a lot of the reason why you guys are on this show today is I've taken the stand. Especially, look, I'm not like your boss, Sean Hannity, who has his audience of millions, Kristen, and and you know he's he's a known quantity. And, he, and he's not really, he doesn't show up every day going, I better not say this. I might lose a, an audience member. I, I'm kind of trying to build an audience, to build a platform. And what I had to finally make the decision of right here, and for the audience that is listening, if you're a non-believer I want you to know what I'm about to say is out of absolute love for you. And to my fellow believer, it's really about love for you because I had to make this decision. As this show continues to grow. I could either stay lukewarm, and we know how that works out according to Jesus. I could either stay that way to try not to make anybody mad and just stay in this lane of self-improvement or whatever, or I could create a platform where that believer that comes across the show goes, it's okay to speak about my faith. It's okay to, I mean, because that guy, he he's out there talking to a lot of people, and I'll tell you, I, I Ben Greenfield. If y'all don't know Big, I want y'all on his show, and I'm trying to work behind the scenes to get Ben to. I would love because his audience is infinitely bigger than mine, and but Ben Greenfield with a huge following, a an incredibly large voice. He's bold in his faith, and 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 I was that believer that was like, well, if he's willing to talk about it, then not only can I, but it's my duty to talk about it, to encourage other believers and then but at the same time, love on the non-believer and bring them in and so David, as I look and I want to read I want to read this this scripture to you guys, and look, I'm not trying I, I, I would never I, it's it's fruitless. I'm not trying to ask you, is this the end times because we don't know Christ's going to come like a thief in the night, but Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It, first of all, if, I think that describes the United States of America 2022 uh, to a T. As a believer, how are we to combat against this battle of darkness and evil? For, for those who are believers who, who, again, no matter what stage you are, what would you say some of the, the tactics that we should be implementing right now? And I'll, I'll throw that to you, David. Well, w-
0: what we should not presume to uh, come up with the answer on our own. We should follow what Paul said, which is to put on the whole armor of God, which means you read Scripture. It means you practice the other spiritual disciplines. Realizing this is a spiritual battle, uh, and it's so o- obvious that it is, the, the the celebration and glorification of absolute evil, objective evil today, tells you all you need to know about the fact that this is not just flesh and blood. Uh, these are principalities of darkness uh, that that we are dealing with. Now, you you made you you quoted in the in the Timothy uh, verse about the appearance of godliness. Boy, that rings true because have you have you noticed that those who are purveying evil, those who are uh, championing evil, the murder of babies, the mutilation of teenagers, the, the ending of our national sovereignty, and, and the opening of borders, which allows 100,000 fentanyl deaths a year, um, the, the wokeness of the military, which is destroying the military, the spending of $31 trillion, and the promise to spend more the lack of any kind of discipline on any level, the disintegration of moral and intellectual order, the disintegration of the rule of law and law and order, all these things are occurring, in my view, because of evil spiritual forces. Let me repeat, as Biden would say, evil spiritual forces. And they have the appearance of godliness. Here's the the thing, these people claim to have the moral high ground while they are peddling demonic values. They shame us for defending, precious, innocent human life. We're the evil ones. How do you even communicate on the same playing field? These people say we ought to reach across the aisle. Back to your point about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to reach across the aisle. He came to divide. That's what he meant because he is truth, and he knows Satan's in control of the world for a time. So we have to fight those That's not to say we don't do it winsomely, diplomatically, uh, and and nice, that we're not kind, but we're not, we don't, we don't tolerate assaults on the truth and assaults on Christ. Yeah, tolerate them in the sense of religious liberty. We're not the ones who shut people down, but don't tolerate them in the sense that you allow that they could be true. You have to speak boldly the truth. Uh, And um, I, I, I think it's scary the extent that the world is upside down, that we are living in the twilight zone on steroids and we're looking every day what is going on we are we're sabotaging our energy production and then wonder and then going over and begging for dirtier oil from Venezuela it, it is the most uh, surreal experience every day i wake up and the only thing that can give you solace is Jesus Christ because you're not going to get it in in the here and now in the, on, on in the material world
1: yeah i think that's one of the things that that keeps me just i mean, i know and, and i'll honestly. Honestly, I have a a lot of sympathy for those who uh, don't have our faith, because could you imagine putting all your hope in our federal government and our our governmental betters? And, 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 you know, you you also mentioned something, David, that uh, that I'm reminded of, and I can't remember. Now, I think Charles Krautheimer gets credit for this, but I'm pretty sure I heard your brother say this a lot, that it used used to be the difference of opinion with with political parties was, we disagreed on policy, but— we didn't hate each other. You know, the, the, the famous uh, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill battles. Now, then, it was either your brother or, or Krodheimer. I don't care which one. It made, it, it, I think it's profound. You've got one side of the aisle that says the other side of the aisle is wrong. The other says that they are evil. Yet, uh, the one that says you're wrong has more understanding, uh, in, mo- in a lot of cases, of good versus evil. And the, and the one that is now taking the moral high ground is the one that is, is doing things, I mean, that harken back to days of Nero. I mean, we're, we're looking at things that are happening that are just like, what? Caligula. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, this is, and you're, you're saying we're the evil ones because we tell you that you shouldn't do that. Do you see the yeah. outcome? Do you see the suicide rates for the people that are following the path that you're promoting? And I think that's just, um, that is a, an, an element of confusion, which, again, I think, and that's a, why I think this book and 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 anything else like it is so important now more than ever is because in particular the believers you got to understand what is going on in these in these this battle against principalities of darkness and demonic spirits that are happening and i know a lot of people hear all of that and they're like what is happening on the jason wright show today but it, it's just that's the truth and so I, I want to say, and as we kind of wrap up, because I know you guys probably have a bunch more interviews with more, with, with more, more audience than, than, than we have here, but I can't tell you enough how important I think it is in this goal that I, I have of be, playing a small part in whatever part that can be for leading a revival in America to get a hold of books like this, to establish, again, going back to what I said early on, that relationship with Christ and I think that's the thing too—that all the other gods, that you, know, you know, man-made gods, whatever they might be, they they create a category of what a god, a deity is. And the fact that Jesus is so opposite of anything man could ever conceive of, ever would conceive of, like for example, just talking about library knowledge versus going deep. When people hear the lion and the lamb, they probably think to themselves, "Well." What, what, that's pretty, that, my, what does that mean? And he's, well, our, our God, who he, he wiped his disciples, he washed his disciples' feet as, a, as an absolute expression of, this is how you lead. But he was also so courageous that going back to what you said earlier, David, I don't think a lot of people think, of, they don't understand this, is that in the garden, Jesus being fully human trembled I mean, he would—he had to he sweat what? Oh, he sweat I mean, the fear—he felt the fear, but yet the lion courageously gave himself over and said, "It must be done." And then was able to sit there and tell Pontius Pilate. I mean, what a m- great movie! I mean, we, we 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 love Gladiator and we love these movies where the hero makes the sacrifice, but for him to just stand there and go, you know, Pilate, you 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 think you're running this show, you think, but. The only power you have came from my father, so you know, go for it. And when you start to un- uh, when people start to understand, it, and again, to point back to the teachings of Paul, and the the way you bring it into a real life, understandable for the lay person to go, oh, that's what that meant, and really, and then hopefully, people do like what you've done, David. And again, I I equate it with that agape love of just. Putting action. You know, look, here's the deal. And I think, brother, you know, I think you've got some crowns in heaven for this. And, Kristen, what you're doing as well is faith without works is dead. And a lot of people think, that. oh, so that means that you're a religion of works. No, it means, like, if if I look at my set of weights but never touch it, I'm sorry. I'm not going to get any stronger. I've got to appreciate my body and understand what working will do for me and then i will get the benefits of the exercise to put it in you know kind of a, a real layman's term but anyway i could go on and on and i know that uh, you guys are what? supposed to be doing the talking but i get kind of excited you
0: you you say no that's good I see why your show is gaining growing in popularity you're really you're inspiring and the word and you're very thoughtful so you. you know the the uh you mentioned something that um, we, all these different pagan religions, create God in their image, how they want, it, want him to be. Mm-hmm. And I did that before too. I presumptuously said, no, God wouldn't do the things I think he would. Well, we don't have to wonder because the Bible reveals dramatically explicitly in complex ways and clear ways who God is. And so that dovetails back to the original purpose of these books read the Bible, give it a chance. God will tell you, ask him to open it up to you. Use Kristen's prayer that that Kristen, I think, gets from the Holy Spirit and and ask him to open up God's truth to you. Our book is not Holy Scripture. It's a book about Holy Scripture. We want, in in this interview, go to the Bible and and let God open open himself up to you. You will see his true nature, his true character, what he's about. You don't have to wonder anymore because he tells us.
1: Amen. I love it. I think that's a perfect place to wrap. And guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. And Kristen, congratulations. Again, I'm jealous. I want to write a book with one of my girls. And so the fact that you've had this opportunity as, as, and David congratulations on not only the book, but again, the young woman you've raised. I mean, I've said this before. There's a, there's a, there's a, not a burden. It's an honor that we take on as Christian men in that we want to do our best to emulate christ to our daughters and have them look and go okay so that's what it's supposed to look like and the fact that you're seeing the fruit of your work as a father and then to get to i mean really uh, have it in black and white like this brother congratulations Le-
0: right. actually lisa's work i just was along for the ride <laughs> no that's <is> not true <laughs> well, uh, that is
2: so kind of you jason i just and god bless you for everything you're doing I, and you have an important role to play and I just love that you have a heart for America and the revival. And I just, you know. I know By the God way, I keep saying,
0: we need another great awakening. And Amen. so I'm right with you on yes. this revival. That's Amen. the only answer.
1: Amen. And, and you know what? What I think we're, we're, we're due one. And it can happen. I'm just holding out. I'm, I'm holding out faith. That, and it's always darkest before the dawn. And wow, it's pr- yeah. pretty dark. So maybe yeah. it's coming. You guys sit tight. And I'll say goodbye to you after I stop the recording. I'm going to do a quick sign off real quick here. Hey, okay. guys. Thank you so much for joining the Jason Wright Show today. What an incredible uh, treat. And look, hey, listen, I want to open this up. If there was anything that came up today in this show and you have questions, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I will always approach any anything, any questions, any arguments with love. Just reach out to me. You can 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 contact me at jasonrightnow.com on the contact sheet. Anything, and it's no holds barred. Let us know. To Kristen and David, thank you so much for sharing your time with this audience. And until we meet again, folks, remember to always endeavor to improve. Always and always. I'm Jason, and I'm out. Hey, guys. If you know anything about me at all, you know I'm I'm always trying to improve my health. Always and always. I don't just want to live longer. I want to live healthier longer. And there is one thing, one thing that I do Every single day. And that is, I take a scoop of HMO powder from Layer Origin. What is HMO powder? This is human milk oligosaccharides. It's a specialized carbohydrate that actually strengthens your gut lining. The benefits are amazing. I first learned about this from my health and wellness mentor, Joel Green. He's been on the podcast. He's the author of The Immunity Code. Fantastic wicked smart guy, the more I learn, the more I understand that every single thing with relation to managing glucose levels, maintaining insulin sensitivity, it all starts with the gut and HMO powder is a key ingredient to that. So here's what I want you to do. Go to jasonrightnow.com slash jason-recommends. Then go smash that nutrition button and it's going to take you right to Layer Origin site where you can order your own HMO Powder, and by doing so, you will be supporting the Jason Wright Show, and I will be so grateful, and so will you. So will your health, and so will your gut. You know, guys, I'm very fortunate because I have a very, very understanding why. For example, I just received this week my ninth pair of Zero Shoes. I love Zero Shoes. You've got to check them out. If you have never experienced the just the superb Almost massage. It's like little angels massaging your feet while you work out when you're wearing zeros. They are just an absolute game changer. They are as close as you can get to being barefooted, which is better for your arch, better for your foot support, better for your over. It engages more muscles. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's good for your feet. And let me tell you something, the older you get, when you're when you're an old fart like me, you want a good solid foundation. And that starts with having good, healthy feet and zero shoes helps you get there. You can go and order a pair right now and support the Jason Wright Show by going to jasonrightnow.com forward slash happy-feet. That's jasonrightnow.com forward slash happy-feet so that you too can experience happy feet. I'm telling you, they're a game changer. Get some Zero Shoes now. Find out why Ben Greenfield, Peter Atia, all the muckety-mucks of the health and wellness world wear Zero Shoes and you should too. Go get you some.